This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue Liar. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, Bet Online, and Regents Field. If you can, give a nod to all of our sponsors. Check them all out. A couple things here. We're going to have an interview today with Dan Miller, who is the voice of the Lions. He's also the sports director over at Fox 2 in Detroit. He's been the voice of the Lions for a while. We talk a little bit about the Lions team this year. We get into some of his favorite calls and kind of how he ended up getting to the job and to Detroit. And we also talk a little bit about everything that we've seen over the last few weeks when it's come to the Lions and social justice. It was a really fun conversation. I appreciate Dan coming on the show. That'll be right after this break. But before we get to that, just want to hit on a couple of things. So the Lions practiced in Ford Field today. It's the first time that they've done that this year. And I'll be honest, it was really different being in there. You wouldn't notice it at this point in time. There hasn't been that much that's changed. Although if you looked up toward the top in the seventh level, you saw that kind of the boxes were wider where coaches are and everybody's going to be a bit more spread out. But it was just, it was a weird feeling being in an NFL stadium. I haven't done that in a while and just, it felt very strange and very different. The one benefit for us was as we only got to watch individuals, we were able to see a few things here and there. And one thing that stood out to me was the footwork of DeAndre Swift. Yes, DeAndre Swift and Bo Scarborough at least did individual drills on Wednesday, which is good news as they both return from injury. But we haven't really been able to see Swift's footwork at all because usually when they're doing individual drills, they're very far away from the media. This was right in front of us, and you just watched the speed of his feet, and it was just something that really caught my eye and was very, very impressive. I thought on Johnson moved his feet very, very well in different ladder drills too, but Swift was something else, and you can tell maybe why he's really good at cutting and maybe some of the decisions he makes and the quickness of those decisions based off of that one small drill and how he really moves his feet. 
The Lions slowly getting back to some sort of health here. Hunter Bryant not at practice. Danny Amendola didn't really do much at all. I didn't see Daryl Roberts do all that much either, but Scarborough and Swift both participated. So that's a good sign for Detroit as they are about 10 days out now from the season opener against Chicago. I can't believe that it's that soon. It's really crept up on me here, but it's coming up soon. And that's something that's pretty exciting. Uh, After practice, Taylor Decker talked to the media for the first time since signing his contract that got officially done on Wednesday and he's a very very rich man asked what he was going to get with his new deal he said I'm not somebody who wants for much or or really wants much as it is I might get a really expensive bottle of whiskey and then he said he might take the offensive line out to dinner they've already been bugging him about it and he also said one other thing which won't be an issue here in Michigan in a week or two but he might leave his air conditioning on a little bit more because he can afford it and with potentially $85 million over the next six years. Yeah, I think he can afford just a little bit of air conditioning. He said that he's a guy that wanted to stay in one city his whole career. A lot of players say that, but he said that he knew that he wanted to do that from when he was drafted, if it was at all possible. And clearly now, when you look at the length of that deal, it's something that I think will be possible. He said the deal came together in about three days. He didn't know what to expect before that. He didn't know if it was going to get done, if it wasn't going to get done. He was very much at peace with the way he had played last season and felt like he had had a good year. And he knew that everything was kind of unprecedented, as he's talked about before, with COVID and with the salary cap questions because of COVID and fans not being in the stands and so much of the unknown. So he just kind of rolled with it, but they pulled him aside and said, hey, we're going to start working on this. That apparently was a few days ago. His agents and the front office talked, and it was, as he put it, quote-unquote, very smooth, and it was clearly a very quick process. But Taylor Decker is going to be a Detroit Lion for a long time. It was really interesting to hear him talk about that. If you could go dig up and maybe go find on Lions.com the full interview. He got really emotional talking about and It came from a question I had asked about what that conversation was like when he called his parents. He said he, after they agreed to terms on Tuesday, he asked them, Hey, before this gets out, can I get a couple of minutes to call my mom and dad, and those are the two people that I really felt needed to hear it from me that the deal was done. And he said he called, his mom started bawling immediately. That led to him starting to cry. He had to get into a team meeting in four minutes, so he had to quickly compose himself. Then he said he called them again on Wednesday after the deal was officially signed, and it was a little bit of a calmer conversation then. But as he said, he's the youngest of five children, And for them to hear that their, as he put it, baby boy and little brother had done this thing that was such a big deal was something that was really important to all of them. We'll be back right after this break with our interview with the voice of the Lions, Dan Miller. You've counted on restaurants and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, 
So that's your favorite local spot and your food, it's on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, the code is BLUEWIRE, $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And Sunday, Sunday, Sundays. We're one Sunday away, everybody. The NFL is coming back. And with SundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. So never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players to track how your fantasy teams are doing as well. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. And while you're watching Sunday Ticket, or if you can't get there, check out Regents Field if you're in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. They're on South Main Street. They are open from Tuesday to Sunday. They have outdoor seating. They have TVs with sound inside and outside. You can catch all of your NFL games there. They've got free darts, free skee-ball, and they've got some free NBA jam also. So don't forget to go and use the Pacers or the Pistons or whatever your team is in NBA jam. See if you can set some records on there. Go check them out. Regents Field on South Main Street in Ann Arbor. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show, if you follow the Lions, he needs no introduction. He's sports anchor on, sorry, sports director on Fox 2. But moreover, he is the voice of the Lions on radio. Dan Miller, welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show. I apologize that it's taken so long for me to get you on the show. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just start here, right? I mean, this is going to run this Tuesday night is going to run on Thursday. What do you think is the most interesting roster battle kind of sitting there right now, two days, three days before they cut? You know, I think to me, running back is interesting because of the injuries that they've had there and guys that have missed time. Um, And the numbers that they have there, like we were talking um, the other day, I was kind of going back and forth with Chris Burke talking about uh, Jason Huntley. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, he might be a guy that, that is sitting on the bubble. But the way I look at it is if you draft a guy in the fifth round and he's exactly who you thought he was, do you really cut a guy like that? And I'll tell you what, when I've seen him get the ball in his hands, his zero to 60 is silly. So I'm kind of watching that because you've had some guys miss some time and you wonder how that might impact them keeping an extra body just for that purpose. Um, you know, I would say probably to me, that's the one I'm keeping an eye on uh, more than anything. I, I think it's unfortunate uh, that they had an injury at, at, at tight end because I thought, I thought uh, Bryant was really doing some really nice things out there. I mean, every time you saw him, he was making a catch and that would have presented some numbers issues for him there. Um, I, I think always you look at the lines and, and, try to decipher how many are they going to keep on the offensive line? How many are they going to keep on the defensive line? And, you know, usually that kind of translates into how many defensive backs you keep as well. It's uh, Mike, you know, it, it's a balancing act and, it, yeah. and it's, it's how you, how many you keep here might cost you a body. It does cost you a body there. And, and we don't necessarily know where those battles will be fought, but I think you can kind of 
of look at the groupings and say that's that's where they got to decide kind of the back end. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on running back. And it's interesting because a week, if we had this conversation a week ago, I would have said, I really think Jonathan Williams has a real shot. But then yeah. that second week of camp, he kind of, he dipped down. I, Huntley is intriguing to me because I agree with you. He's exactly what you thought, right? But you also thought maybe when you drafted him, he was going to be your returner. And that's the one area where he's been shaky. Yeah. So, and, and, and anytime you see a guy bobble a ball or anything like that, it's, it's you, you have to earn a coach's trust. You know that yeah. whether you're back there as a running back in pass pro or you're back there to catch a punt, whatever it is. But I just, I, I look at this thing and I say, okay, can this guy be a difference maker? If you put the football in his hands, now the numbers might not be there for him this year, but is he somebody that you want to cut loose and maybe not get back? I, I, that's a question I would ask. Oh, no, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of, of theoretic and his rookie year were, remember, they didn't use him at, much at all, but you saw that they had kind of a plan for him down the road. And I, I wonder if Huntley's the same way. Not that they're going to tell us that, um, but I felt like that too. I agree with you, by the way, on Hunter Bryant. I, I thought he'd be the, three, the number three tight end, and now I don't know what – I guess if, if you're the Lions, if I'm the Lions, I try to stash him on IR and just it's a lost season. Yeah. Um, because it's, otherwise – Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's a great point. I mean, it's just when, when a guy – I mean, he was making plays day after day after day, but it just – this is where it gets tough for these coaches. And you go through it every year. You know, you, you're, you're kind of out there guessing the roster a lot more than I am with what you do. But it's – what we don't know how significant some of these injuries are. Are they just being cautious or is there something that that's more of an issue, but it clouds everything when a guy's not on the field. Oh, without a doubt. And when you look at Bryant specifically, I think the Jesse James contract maybe plays into it too, because mm -hmm. he was looking good enough that he could have been your two tight end potentially. But you can't, you're not going to cut Jesse James who you're given $2.25 million to guarantee. Yeah, and, and blocking comes into it as yeah. well, where, where Bryant has not shown that, that he's that type of player. He looks right now to me like a guy who can catch passes in this league, and he looks like he's ready to do it right now. But um, James gives you that big body that if you want to go into some sort of jumbo set, he certainly gives you that. But, yeah, you're right. It's – I'm – it's an it's always interesting, but probably even more so now with the expanded practice squad to see how they try to play that and how that plays into it um, with the numbers that they'll have. I mean, you, you look at 53 and 16, that's not all that far from where they are right now. I yeah. mean, compared to what we're normally looking at. And, and it, it's with the Lions, even it's one more because of curse, because they stash curse on the suspended list for three weeks. So right. they know they have him coming back three weeks when there's bound to be injuries somewhere. And then at that point, you know, the, the one guy I thought was super interesting and I had him really on the bubble was CJ Moore. And then yeah. Braden, then Braden Combs comes out and like raves about him for three minutes. And you're yeah, like, well, okay, I, you're I on the team, that. dude. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I heard that the other day and it was, you don't get that from a lot of coaches very often. And I, I don't think he did that by mistake. I think he knew clearly what he was doing, but you know, CJ's a guy that I think earned the respect of this coaching staff last year. I think that, that they figured they had something in him last year, and he's only come in this year and proven it more. And they had gone out 
and signed a number of guys that had pretty strong special teams backgrounds on their resume, but still he's been able to kind of shine and, and, and put himself in the mix. I'm curious what you think of Braden, actually, because you've been around for a while. You've been around a lot of coaches. Burkett tweeted it, and he actually – he tweeted it while I was texting him the same exact thing he was tweeting after his first press conference, which is this guy's going to be a head coach one day. He just seems yeah. to have it. Do you, You've been around enough coaches. Do you get that sense too? Because, Or is this me just being a little bit younger kind of not having that? No, I, I think he's got – I think when you look at him, there, there is a charisma about him that you look for with a head coach. And I think you saw that look. He's a good-looking guy. He's got the square jaw. He's, he's got some charisma about him. Um, look, he's, uh, for a football coach, he's kind of cut out of central casting. And so, sure, I think you look at him and say, this guy looks like he's going to be a head coach. Now, I've said that about other people, and it hasn't turned out to be true. You gotta, it's not just how you look, which he's got that down, but it's, it's how you coach. And, and we'll see where that goes from here. And the journey for special teams coaches can be a little bit longer than it can be for a different coordinator. But obviously, there's a guy named Harbaugh who showed that it can be done. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about him. He commands a room, which is something you look for in a head coach. And I think, you know, Mike, if you extrapolate that out, he walks into a meeting for an interview. He's the kind of guy that's going to present very well. And I just think – so I, I think you and Dave were, were spot on just in the way that he presents himself. Now we're going to see how he coaches and how that thing moves forward from here. Yeah, no, I, and that's, that's, that was what stuck out to me. He's like, the coaching part's a question mark, right? We know he has the lineage and, and the, the pedigree for that from his family. And he's been around football, as he was talking about, since he's been four. Right. But, yeah, I mean, that, even, even how he handled the press conference on Sunday, where at the end he was like, I want to talk about social justice. Yeah. Like, and, and then went and talked for like four minutes very passionately about it. That was something that, what, we've seen mostly head coaches do? I, I haven't seen, you know, I don't know how many coordinators around the league have talked, but I haven't seen many coordinators approach it like that. Yeah, I, just, I think that's, that stood out to me too. Yeah, I think that's probably a couple of things. I think it's what you said. I think it's somebody who has been around this game their whole life and knows what this means. To, to those players and, you know, to, to the black players that, that have lived this life. And, and, you know, I think it's been so – we haven't been in these meetings where guys have talked about their life experiences and their friends' life experiences and their family's life experiences. But it has clearly been a very powerful and moving thing. And we've gotten some of that where guys have come on the Zoom and told their stories. Deron Harmon did um, and, and others have as well. So – I just think these these coaches have been very, very uh, moved emotionally by what they have seen and heard from these players. And I think it's um, I, I think it's it, it's it was something to watch in Allen Park, you know, during the offseason. I shouldn't say Allen Park on Zoom during the offseason. I think, you know, one of the, one of the most, I think, impactful things for me has been listening to Frank Ragnow during the offseason, Taylor Decker recently, Matthew Stafford recently, you know, talk about how they listen to their black teammates. And you would think going in that because they're both professional football players, they lead parallel lives. But understanding once they hear their stories that they really don't. I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing. And, and it's, it's been, I think it's been an awakening for, for a lot of guys who probably knew something about it but maybe not everything that they know now. 
Decker, Decker, when he talked uh, last Tuesday, when they pro- during the protest, that really was really powerful to me. And, and you could tell, even though he had the mask or the scarf, whatever you want to call it, up, mm. you could tell he was holding on barely emotionally. You could just hear it. Yeah, I mean, when you tell a story about, you know, Okora calling you up and saying you got a headlight out and you realize the difference in how that might go if it's you versus him. And, you know, it's, it's what I've said to, to people because, look, it's a, it's a divisive issue and you're not going to get a lot of people who agree. You're going to get a lot of people who just say, you know, be quiet, play football, whatever it is, whatever the equivalent of shut up and dribble is. But, look, I, I just think – if you look at these guys, these big football players, and people will say, oh, what are they, you know, they're rich, what's it matter? Well, you know what, these big football players with nice houses sometimes worry about whether or not they're gonna be safe getting home to those houses. And that's, man, if you, if you don't realize just what that means, then I think you need to think about it a little longer. I just, I, I look, I don't know, Mike, that we'll ever come together on these issues, but, you know, I respect the heck out of these guys, and, and you listen to their life stories when they weren't big, rich football players, and, and people didn't know who they were. And, you know, when Ahmaud Arbery is your cousin, and it hits home like that, or one of your best friends of your family, and it hits home like that, this is real to them, and I respect that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I did a couple of radio shows on Tuesday, or last Tuesday, rather, and I said straight away that was one of the most impactful days of my career i'll remember that i'll remember being there that day and what Mm -hmm. that emotion was like and seeing that emotion and 15 20 25 years you know when i'm done with this when i'm done with this career i'll still remember that and take that and you've been in this business for a long time you don't get a lot of those days necessarily when it's not centered around a game that you've been to that people will talk about yeah, guys don't show themselves a lot. Yeah. You know, some do, but, but you don't often get that kind of uh, opening up of oneself in that moment. And, and we've had that. And, and, and I, again, I think this, this goes back, and, and you were on all these calls much further than Tuesday. This started during the offseason when Matt Patricia really gave them the opening to talk about this stuff and to um, – you know, just share it with their teammates and, and just to talk about the emotional conversations that they had on those Zoom calls. And, and I, I credit Matt Patricia a lot. I think it's been a bonding experience for this team. I think he's gained the respect of a lot of players on this team with the leeway that he's given them and the time that he's given them and the understanding that he's given them. I think it's, it's, it's been important. What does that equate to? Well, off the field, it equates to making people feel better about themselves and the group feeling better on the field. We'll see. I don't, I don't know. Anything that brings a team together is a good thing. Football isn't the most important thing in that equation, but I do think there's a byproduct there of, of that team coming closer together through all of this. That's what I was about to ask you, is you, if you felt like there was maybe a football carryover that could happen. I, it, you know, I think it remains to be seen just because yeah. you've never been through something like this before in a lot of ways with this team, at least. So we yeah. don't know. That, yeah, no, we don't. And, and, I, and I hate to almost, you know, and it's a fair question. And I went there before you did, but you almost hate to, you know, put it in that context because sure. it's so much bigger than that. But I, I will say this, anything that bonds a team is good. And I think when you saw that team, 
you know, walk out of Allen Park, you, you were there, I was listening to it, and I watched it later on tape. When you see that team walking out of Allen Park, that's a team that's together. I mean, and, and you kind of have sensed that for a while. So I, I, I think that's good. Again, at the end of the day, does that make a play for you in the fourth quarter? I don't know, but it brings the team closer together. And, and most of the really good teams I've been fortunate enough to cover have been pretty close and, and been pretty tight and they cared about each other and they didn't mind showing that. Do you get the sense they bought into Patricia? Because that was one thing that stuck out to me is a lot of guys unprompted over the last few months have specifically mentioned how they appreciated Patricia allowing them to talk. And considering everything that I've reported that you've talked about from that first year specifically, and even a little bit last year, it seems like a lot of those issues are Non, non-existent or if they are existent are never going to show up publicly I based think, off I of the think, way guys are talking. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think, yes. Okay, just taking this situation and, and racial injustice and allowing guys to talk, I don't think there's any doubt that that has, that has been a, a very important move by Matt Patricia. I don't like putting it in those terms, but it has been something that, that his team – appreciates, respects. Uh, but I, I think bigger picture, I think from year one to year two to year three, he's grown into the job more. He has grown more of an understanding of, okay, I don't have to be, you know, a hard ass here. I can be, you know, a little more forgiving here. I can give a little more of myself here. I don't have to be quite as stringent here. Um, I, just, I just think I've seen him grow into the job and him be different. And you know what? You should get better at your job every year. <laughs> you, you, all of us should. If we're not getting better, we're, we're doing it wrong. So, but I just, I just think, Mike, I've, I've seen him change over the years. And I think he's, you know, how does that equate to football? I don't know. We're going to find out starting a week from Sunday. But I, I – I just think I've seen changes in him. I think in the way he deals with his players, the way he deals with us, um, you know, just the, the way that, that I think he approaches a number of things. I just think he's, I think he's figured out some things are more important than others and maybe some things that he thought were, you know, incredibly important maybe aren't so much. And, you know, that's, that's, that's reps in life. That's what we do. We, we should get better. Uh, as we do things more often and gain an understanding of, of what went right or what went wrong. And I think he's doing that. No, I, I agree with you. And I've definitely noticed that from year one to year two to year three, uh, especially from year one to year two, because year one was, uh, you know, as I put it, it was a mess for him on every possible level you could I th- have. I think guys have to find out who they are. I think guys have to find out. I, I think all coaches, it's, it's, I think it's rare for a guy to walk right in and just boom, he's comfortable. Nothing changes. Hits the ground running. I think all guys adapt, and and a guys, you know, the thing that makes them different is that they're themselves. And I think I think you know I tell people all the time, doing TV or or radio, the hardest thing to do is just get to the point where you're yourself. You just that light comes on, and you just go, and you're you. That's the only thing that makes you different than other people. You know, don't emulate somebody else. Don't copy somebody else. Be yourself, because that's what makes you different. But the only thing that allows you to do that is repetition. And that way, when the light comes on, you don't have to take in a big breath and act like you're a TV guy or something like that. You basically just say, go, be you. 
you know, just, just be you. That's, you know, I, you don't have to stray far from that. I think sometimes people make it too complicated, but I think, you know, where coaching is concerned, you know, it's about, it's about being yourself and, and finding your comfort level. And I think he's done that. So you mentioned BU. Let's get into to you a little bit. How did you get into this period? I mean, because I, I always find journalism, and maybe this is the journalism dork in me, right? That I'm always curious someone's path to how they get here. Like, what was your path? How do you end up at Fox Two, and then, as we're talking about, at the, as the voice of the you, lion? You don't have that kind of. You don't have that kind of time. <laughs> um, no, I I always knew that I wanted to do something in sports. Um, I was, uh, you grew up in New York, right? Yeah. Uh, my, my first guy I watched when I was eight years old was Warner Wolf. I wanted to be Warner Wolf who was big in DC and then went to New York and, and had a terrific career. And then I used to watch him when I was eight, nine years old. And I just, he would do his sports cast and then I would copy him. And I just knew at that point that it was something that I wanted to do. I didn't know exactly what it would be, but and then the real quick version here, when I was a senior in high school, I had a friend who was working at Mutual Radio and they used to hire college kids to, he was my baseball coach. He was trying to get into the business and ultimately did. Um, they would hire college kids to work weekends on their sports shows at Mutual Radio, which then became Westwood One later. I stayed there for 11 years. I went and did an overnight talk show. Then I did sports talk radio. Sports talk radio led to roundtable hits. Roundtable hits led to somebody asking me if I wanted to help with the Redskin pregame show. Redskin pregame show led to somebody asking me if I wanted to do some fill-in anchoring. Fill-in anchoring led to a weekend job at ABC in Washington. ABC in Washington led to uh, a news director in Detroit seeing my tape and my agent calling me and saying there's a news director in Detroit who likes your tape. Uh, and the next thing I knew, I was on my way to Detroit. And it's... <laughs> Believe me, it's a lot longer than that and more boring and a lot more twists and turns. And, you know, it was, look, I, I tried to get a job in TV out of college and I couldn't. I tried everywhere. I could not get anybody to say yes. Uh, from the time I got out of college, I stayed in radio and then radio was kind of my back door into TV. But, you know, it's when you're applying for jobs that pay $12,000 a year and there's 250 applicants for them, it's really hard to stand out. And I clearly didn't because I got turned down for all of them. So it's, um, you know, people ask me, well, how do you do it? Uh, how can I do it? You know, interns will say, man, just there's no set path. Just find a way in, get your first job. And, you know, I always tell people it's the first job that means the most because when you get your first job, you go from saying, here's what I think I can do to here's what I've done. And that, that's, a, that's a big change. But um, look, I, I've been blessed. My, my wife and I, I've, I've said we've like run through a maze to get to this point. And we had to make a lot of decisions. And, and I knock on wood that we've made the right decisions. There were some along the way where if we had gone a different way, I don't know where I'd be right now, probably, you know, doing something much different than this. But uh, I, I'm really blessed that that it turned out this way, because, you know, I couldn't have asked for any more. I work in an amazing city for sports and have raised my kids here. And um, it's, I, I couldn't feel more fortunate to do what I do. I, I ask this of athletes all the time when they come on, because it's a similar thing, right? That rare of the rare, what was your plan B? Did you have one or? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I did. I mean, you know, I, I was really fortunate that 
I got the job when I was a senior in high school, working part-time uh, at Mutual Radio in the sports department. And then I worked there throughout college, and it was actually pretty decent money working weekends for college. It was like a, a nice union rate, so I always had beer money, which was great. But <laughs> it was uh, – and then my junior year, I got brought on full-time, and I finished college at night. So I, I really never had to think of a plan B. I think my plan B was – that I wanted to do TV and I couldn't get the job. So my plan B really became, um, I took a pretty significant pay cut to leave a job at, it was by then Westwood One NBC Radio, doing updates and, and, and traveling and producing games and doing pre and post game shows and stuff like that. I left a job there, took a pretty hefty pay cut because it was, I kind of got to the point where I felt like I can sit here for the next 20 years and it's probably not going to go much of anywhere, but I'll still be sitting here. Um, and it was a, it was a good job, but I felt like there was more out there for me. And I took a, like I said, a pretty decent pay cut, uh, to do an overnight talk show. And the next thing I knew I was working 12 to five 30, uh, overnight doing a talk show. So it was, um, you know, luckily it, it didn't last long before they moved me to a, another spot. Um, but it was, you know, that was probably my plan B was just kind of, you know, taking a leap of faith that, that something else would work out. And, and it did, um, you know, it was, it was a little scary. My wife was making decent money at the time, so we could at least afford, you know, to live. And then, um, she started getting pregnant all the time. So, uh, she, she wasn't working anymore Then it was on me. And, uh, so you had kind of had to figure it out at that point, but, um, it, yeah, I, you know, I, honest to God, I don't know what I would have done if, if this hadn't worked out, I guess I would have figured something out, but thankfully I never really got to the point where it was like, um, you know, um, snake eyes, it came up empty. I got to figure something else out. So what's it like for you on, on game day? Like when you, when you're sitting there. When you're getting ready for a game, for a Lions game, what's that like for you? Take me inside the booth. Well, I mean, it's before the booth. I, I, I sit down for Fox 2 and do our pregame show from 10 to 11. So that's kind of the, the beginning of my day is getting to Ford Field around 930 and uh, jumping on TV and doing 10 to 11. And um, from there, I go to the booth and, you know, most of, of – of what you do on game day is already done during the week. It's the preparation. And it's, you know, that's, that's stuff that I've picked up from other guys over the years and, and people that I've looked up to and just learned that the, the, the key is preparation. The key is being ready for anything. So when you, you, that kind of calms the nerves a little bit when you get ready to start the game is that, you know, you're ready for it. So, um, you know, I think I'm lucky to work with really good people um in 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 the booth and talented people from engineer spotter producer statistician lomas you know all the guys it's um you know i should probably name them they'll get mad at me but al and mike and joe and nick and lomas all the guys it's um you know it's it's fun i have i i get to work with people i like i get to call a game i love and it's it's great and every week it's something different you know and it's it presents itself and um, I, I say all the time, I, when the home won't happen this year, unfortunately, but when the home team runs out in a stadium, 
and that crowd stands and cheers. The hair on the back of my neck stands up, and I think it always will. Maybe when it doesn't, I'll either know I'm dead or I shouldn't be doing this anymore. But um, I love that moment. I love the arena. I love the the unknown that we get to deal with in our job all the time and not not knowing what's going to come next. You mentioned the prep, and again, maybe this is the journalism dork in me, right? But like where every play-by-play person I've ever talked to has gotten their prep from somebody because there's different ways to do to explain really quick to the listeners, there's different ways to do charts and different ways to do kind of what you see. Where did you pick up how to do your chart? Because for a play-by-play guy, that's something that's so personal and so like it has to be right for you. Yeah, probably most of it came from Tony Roberts, who was the longtime voice of Notre Dame football on Westwood One and a guy I worked with from a very young age and worked with him forever. And he had a big impact on me and Tony I used to watch him do his charts and he would handwrite them out. There's a lot of guys who use computers. I, I'm still old school. I handwrite it because I feel if I write it, I'll know it. And, and it, it just sinks in a little bit more. But the setup for my charts really came um, from Tony. And uh, there's, there's probably a lot of Tony in my play-by-play uh, that I picked up from him. But I would say my charts came from Tony. You know, I, I would say my, my preparation – came from probably two people. One was James Brown. And I'll tell you a story. I did a, I did a, ba- a college basketball game with James Brown back in the 90s. We did a George Mason basketball game, which was he was doing play-by-play and I was doing color, which was ridiculous. <laughs> it so should have been the other way around, but that's the way it was. And JB was just so awesome. Um, so I'm getting ready the night before the game and my phone rings and I pick it up and I say, hello. And, it, and I just hear somebody go, 54. And I'm like, who's this? He goes, 54. And it was, he was, at, it was JB asking me who was number 54 because he wanted to see if I'd memorized my rosters yet. So it was that, that kind of taught me if this guy is preparing that much, I know what I got to do. And, and the other guy – that, that taught me about preparation it was, was Tony Kornheiser. And I used to, when I did my radio show, after I got off the overnights, and I used to do one to, to uh, noon to four, um, Tony was on 10 to noon. And I would come in this, I, first of all, so you get your prep in your head, and you're deciding what you're going to talk about. And invariably, you're going to talk about the same things he's talking about, pretty much, because it's the news of the day. So I've got my thoughts and I'm driving in and I'm listening to Tony on the way in and everything he's saying is so much better than anything I'm going to say that I'm just like, why am I even bothering? He's so much smarter. He's, I see black and white. He sees amazing shades of gray. And so that was always the most humbling thing in the world was listening to him just blow away anything I planned to say. But more than that, I would get there and because Tony didn't clean up after himself, and I say that with love, there would be this sports section sitting there. It was the Washington Post sports section, and it was just full of notes everywhere. In handwriting, you couldn't read because you can't read Tony's writing. But it would be just covered in notes. And I'm thinking to myself, and Tony was already a huge success. You know, it was, it was before pardon the interruption, but he was still huge. And... I'm thinking to myself, if this guy, and he, to put it bluntly, his preparation dwarfed mine. And I'm just thinking, if he prepares this much, 
I need to do double that to even be close to him. And that, that, that was really, that was eye-opening for me to see how hard somebody of his stature worked and what I was kind of trying to get by on, which I thought was appropriate, and I found out it wasn't. So, I mean, those are some of the guys I think have had huge impacts on me. And there have been others. I've, I've been blessed that people have reached out to me and tried to help me and kind of pushed me along in, in my career. And I try to do that for other people now because I know how much it meant. It's so interesting you talked about Tony Kornheiser because I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for Tony Kornheiser. So quick story that hopefully won't bore you. So my mom and my uncle and my aunt, well, my mom, my aunt, my mom's closest friend, who's like an aunt and her husband, who's like an uncle, they all went to the same sleepaway camp with Tony Kornheiser. So they've known Tony for, well, my mom has since passed, but like 60 years, give or take. So I graduate from college and I bust up my ankle playing basketball that summer. And I am working at that point at a PR firm, but I don't like it. I'm writing, freelancing on the side, going away from DC to Boston. And I was supposed to go to this reunion that they had, but they, I was gonna go, but then they were like, Tony's not coming. And my parents were like, well, if Tony's not coming, you can't play any sports. You're gonna be crutching around, what's the point? So I don't go. Tony ends up being there. My family ends up talking to Tony and says, hey, my son's interested in this. And I'm 21. Right. And he is like, and they're like, all right, we'll have him call me. So I call him and he calls me back. And he talks on the phone with me for about 45 minutes before he goes to do PTI. And he tells me the story of how Mitch Album, which, you know, brings all this full circle, like got into the business. And he was like, if you, and the advice he gave me, which is the advice I give people today and the advice that is, was paramount for my career. If you want to write, write, go do what you want to do because otherwise you're never going to get to do it. And that's paraphrasing it, except for the, if you want to write, write part. And the next day I went in and gave my two weeks notice yeah. and I sent him clips and he sent some stuff back. And I mean, I haven't talked to him in forever, but if that conversation doesn't happen, there is like next to no chance I get to where I am now because that's always been the burn in the back of my head. So when you start talking about Tony, yeah, I was like, that's awesome. I was like, man, like, and I've never really told that story publicly before because like it just never comes up. Right. But like, yeah, that's, that's wild. Like, <laughs> well, I think it, I think it makes you, I think it makes you pay it forward a little bit too, because I, I know how many, like I said, how many people have just, with a couple words lifted me up because this business is hard. This business is really hard in particular to get going and to get to the point where you feel like you've, you know, I don't even want to say made it where you feel like you're comfortable. Uh, and um, for somebody to kind of just give you uh, Hey, look, you got this, you're going to be all right. Or here, think about this or something like that, man, it means everything. And maybe in the moment you don't realize it, but when you look back on it, you realize that strung you from point to point to point to point when you might have just fallen off because, you know, it's for anybody out there that, that wants to try to get into the business, it is difficult. And you do hear no a lot and you take that as a judgment on you. And, and it's hard to just keep going uh, unless you have people that are helping you do that. You mentioned that when you prep, you kind of know every week's going to be unexpected and, and not know. With the Lions, at least in the eight years I've been covering them or seven plus, 
it seems like that's on a season-to-season basis. You just don't know. What's the most unexpected call, unexpected moment that you think you've had in your time calling the Lions? Oh, it's, I, I don't even have to think twice. Aaron Rodgers, the Hail Mary. I mean, it was just I've, I, I've told the story before. I can't use the language that I've told it in, but I've, I've, that moment to me was just slow motion. I mean, just from thinking that they were going to win and that they were going to be back in the playoff race had they won that game. And just, I just remember the, the throw and looking out there and just seeing that, looking up and seeing that ball flying through the air higher than I'd ever seen a ball in that stadium. And then just glancing down into the end zone and seeing that their guys had boxed out our guys. And I was just like, we're screwed. I mean, it's like, I'm looking down at that and I'm like, and you're still calling it. And I tell people when you do play by play, there's two voices. There's the one that comes out of you and there's the conversation going on in your head, which is much different. And, and I'm sitting there looking and I'm like, I've never seen a ball that high. And then I glanced down and I'm like, literally we're dead because it, it was just, it's like basketball. If you box them out, you've got superior position and chances are you're going to make the play. And you could just see that Rogers had gotten them on his back and they were all in poor position. And then it was just like, bang, bang. And when that happened, I was just, I was stunned. I mean, it was just like it, – it was just like a kick to the gut. And I, I remember I saw one of the Lions team doctors afterwards, and we were, we were down in the locker room. He goes, how you doing? I said, well, I either had a panic attack or a heart attack, one of the two. I'm not sure which one. And it was just – that was just so stunning. I mean, I just – still to this day, it's like how in the world – did that happen from 71 yards, whatever it was, 61, whatever it was, just incredible, 61 yards, whatever it was, just incredible. Yeah, I wasn't, I mean, I thought that might be it, but I was also thinking about Atlanta. I was thinking about Seattle. I was thinking about Dallas. Well, Minnesota, I mean, yeah, the, the doubt, there's, there's been a, the Dallas being down 27 to three to the Cowboys in Dallas and winning that game was incredible. That's when it doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but the Lions were down 27 to three to the Cowboys and came back and won that game. You know, there's the, there's the Stafford game where he, you know, he leaped over against Dallas. Um, the Minnesota game with the, with the Prater field goal and then Golden Tate, you're thinking, okay, he's got the first down, then holy, she's going to score. Yeah. And this game's going to be over just like that to, to basically go from, you know, no timeouts at your minus 20 to a 58-yard field goal to um, – winning on the first possession and, and golden going in like that was was just crazy but i mean just for one moment it was it was rogers i mean that but and, and plus because it was rogers who i have incredible respect for but you know he's just stuck it to him so many times that to, to have it happen like that in, in your house was just like oh my oh just incredible You've come close to calling a couple of division title wins. Like you've gone into those games knowing if the Lions won, they would win the division title for the first time in what would be now almost 30 years. What Do you have that prepared? Like if they win a division title, if they win a playoff game, like is that already in your head? Like do you allow yourself to think about that or do you need it to be in the moment to kind of say – 
I'm just going to call it how I call it because I've never, it's not something I've ever experienced before covering the Lions. No, I think I have, I think I have further down the line, NFC Championship and Super Bowl. That's in my head. Although one of them I've, I've kind of changed lately. I do it when I'm driving. When I'm driving, I, 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 I had a college professor once who told me, and it's great advice, and I give this to people all the time, if you want to get better, drive and talk. Just drive, explain what you're seeing, or put yourself in a situation and talk. And sometimes I will call a Super Bowl win. I will call an NFC Championship win. And um, so I think I've done those. I, I don't think I ever have thought about just winning a division. I mean, obviously, I knew the gravity of those situations when you went in and how big it could be if they had won that game. But I don't necessarily think that I had anything planned for those. I've, I've kind of only written out to this point I wrote out the 0-16, and I wrote out when they broke the long losing streak against the Redskins, I wrote, I wrote three words because I kind of had the feeling they were going to win that day. And I was driving to the stadium that morning, and I kind of thought, well, they'll break the losing streak. Uh, they'll win the game. They'll break the losing streak, and they'll, they'll uh, end the nightmare. And I got to the stadium, and I wrote down game – losing streak, nightmare, and that became game over, losing streak over, nightmare over. So, but I, I, think, I think most of the time you have to be in the moment. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to sell something that, that is really pre-planned. I do think you have to have some thoughts in those moments. You don't want to blow it. You realize that it is for, you know, it's there in perpetuity. And if you're calling a World Series win or an NBA title or a hockey title or something like that, it's important. You don't, you don't want to blow that. So I would, you know, I, I'm, I would have something ready for, for those instances. Now, if it's something like a Rogers Hail Mary, I don't know how the heck you prepare for that. I mean, there's no, there's some things you can't prepare for. And that's why I think the guys that are so good, just like the Joe Bucks of the world who just never seem thrown by a moment. And that's the one thing that I just, that I think really stands out about guys like that. And, and, you know, Jim Nance and, and Joe Buck and, and the great ones. It's just, man, they've always got something ready for that moment. And that's what separates them. That's what makes them great. Last question I have for you would be this. It kind of follows on that. If the Lions won the Super Bowl, what would this, I'm not gonna ask you to say what your call would be. But what would your what would you think this city would be like? What would that oh be like God. for you calling that game? I think for a lot of people, there'd be a lot of tears. I really do. I think it would be just unbelievable emotion for a lot of people who have been at it a lot longer than I have, um, who started off with their dads and maybe now do it with their sons and just what it would mean to them to finally be able to say that, that they were the best would be, after all the heartbreak and disappointment, would be pretty incredible. And, you know, I've said before, the best part of my job is seeing fans happy. The best part of my job is when the team is winning and you go to the grocery store and people just want to give you a high five and go to the gas station. And people are just like, man, this is unreal. And, and, you know, the opposite of that is when they're losing and you go to the grocery store and people want to yell at you and tell you how they'd fix it and it comes with a gig and you let them tell you and and then you kind of move on but it um look I've, I've thought about that I've thought about Heart Plaza I've thought about all those things of what it would be like and 
I don't, I don't even know if you could, you could put it into words. I've been there for a Pistons parade. I've been there for a Red Wings parade and um, they were unbelievable. And just the, the happiness and emotion and, and the feeling of togetherness and unity uh, was incredible. And, and it would be, look, the NFL's king, man. The NFL's a big deal. And this team is a big deal. And it would even unite the people that have, you know, kind of turned their back or turned away because they've been so frustrated. It would bring them back. And it would be pretty, pretty incredible. It would be pretty incredible. I lied. I had one more question. It kind of fits into that, which is if – and it fits into the question about the prep, which is – if they got to the Super Bowl, would you kind of start looking at maybe what some of the Cubs announcers did, what some of the other announcers who've been in similar situations of this long, nightmarish, you know, streak type thing? Do you, or, do you use that or do you kind of avoid that and say, I don't want to know? I don't want to. I would think I don't want to know. I, I don't think you want somebody else's. That's their moment. And that is, you know, I tell people – Another big influence on my career was, was Frank Herzog, a longtime voice of the Redskins. And I tell people all the time that I watch Super Bowl 17 on television, but when John Riggins goes around the left side, in my mind, I hear Frank Herzog. That's his moment. And nobody can copy that moment. And you want something that will be uniquely yours. And you don't want it to sound like somebody else's because their moment will live forever. Your moment will live forever. Theirs is theirs. Yours is yours. And I just think it's, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. The only thing that makes us all different is that we're us. So everybody would have, you'd have your way of writing that. Dave would have his way and Justin and Kyle would have their way and it would all be different. It would be, you know, trying to capture an amazing moment in how you write it but it would all be different. So I think that it would be the same for anybody calling that game where it would have to be, you know, clearly there would be recognition of the heartache and the weight and the, you know, the years, but um, nah, I think you want that to be, you want it to be yours and you want it to be Detroit's. Oh yeah. No, there's no doubt. I, I've, I've thought about that a couple of times and I would be like, I, that's one of those, like the gravity of the moment. What, I don't even know where you start <laughs> as a writer, at least, you know, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine in the moment what it would yeah. be. Yeah. And, and, and you have to be ready for it. I mean, that's one thing you have to be ready for it, but it is, it is unique unto itself to be sure. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully it wasn't too painful for you. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, thank you. I, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to sit and talk and I'm glad that we're back talking about sports and, you know, talking about, getting ready to play games here because for a long time we didn't know if we were going to be able to do that. So it's a good thing. Absolutely. I want to thank the voice of the lions, Dan Miller for coming on the show. I thought hopefully you got something out of that conversation. If you're a journalism person or you're a broadcast person, hopefully you took something from the stories that I myself and Dan told about kind of how we got started in the business. If you're a lions person, hopefully you got something out of some of the Lions stuff that we talked about at the top of the show, top of the interview, and then again in the back end of the interview with some of the calls and what it would be like if the Lions ever got to an NFC title game or to a Super Bowl. Again, really want to thank Dan Miller for coming on the show. You can follow Dan on Twitter at DanMillerFox2. 
You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you can. We'd really appreciate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just make sure you download and subscribe. Thanks, as always, to my sponsors, DoorDash, Regents Field, Sunday Ticket, Bet Online, and Blue Wire for hosting this show. And with that, we will chat with you again tomorrow. The wait is finally over. Football, it's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.